We have been studying the book of Genesis these last few weeks, and we have seen that Genesis is foundational to a right understanding of the rest of Scripture. And today we look at chapter 6 of Genesis, the beginning of the section on the flood, and we see very clearly the theme of grace in the midst of grief. God was grieved with what had happened in the world, and yet he poured out his grace upon Noah. Let's read from Genesis chapter 6, and we begin reading at verse 1. Now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to the birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor, or some translations say Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them, and behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you shall make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark and finish it to a cubit from the top and set the door of the ark on the side of it. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life. From under heaven, everything that is on the earth shall perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind, of the animals after their kind, of every creeping thing of the ground after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. As for you, take for yourself some of all food which is edible, 
and gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did, according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you are a God of grace in the midst of judgment. You grieved because of what had happened in this world. And yet you offered your grace in the midst of it all. And Father, your heart must grieve as you look at the world today as well. As you look at our culture and our country today. But thank you that you are a gracious God. Amazing grace offered to us today in the person of your son Jesus. Pray that you would teach us, we pray, in your name. Amen. It was 1973, and there was a man by the name of Ray Negron. He was a junior in high school, and it was the final day of his junior year, and instead of going to school, he skipped, and he and his friends bought some spray paint, And they proceeded to go to Yankee Stadium in New York City and spray graffiti on the walls. Some of you Twins fans think, yay, all right, Yankees. Well, he was there spraying graffiti on the wall, and this car drove up. And out of the car came two men, and he thought they were both security guards. One of them was... The other was uh, George Steinbrenner, the owner of the Yankees. And they were obviously angry with these boys. Two of them happened to get away, but Ray got caught. And they put him in a cell. They had like a a retaining cell, jail, in, in old Yankee Stadium. And he said, there I sat, wondering what was going to happen to me. And he said, my mind was just... You know, jail time, prison, what's it going to be? And he sat there for about a half hour, and lo and behold, in comes George Steinbrenner. And he has a uniform for Ray, and he says, You are going to be my bat boy tonight. And so Ray says he ran out on the field with Bobby Mercer. Any of you who are baseball fans from years ago, you probably recognize that name. Was a bat boy for the Yankees that night and became an employee of the Yankees even till today. Forty plus years of working for Steinbrenner and the Yankees. George Steinbrenner was obviously grieved with what this young man did. But I heard Ray tell this story a couple of years ago in Tampa, and with tears running down his face, he said, that literally changed my life. He said, the two guys that didn't get caught, one of them is dead, the other one is in prison. It changed my life. Grace? Yeah, that was grace. In the midst of a situation where, obviously, the owner was grieved, But he offered this man grace. Now that may be maybe not the greatest comparison to what God has done, but you look at the flood and you look at the account that we just read in Genesis chapter 6, and you can see, first of all, that God was grieved with what happened on the earth. 
When sin was running rampant, God was grieved. I don't think Adam and Eve really understood what the consequences would be when they disobeyed God's command. How far-reaching the consequences would be. Their sin not just affected their relationship with God, but their sin had an impact on the entire human race. It begins in chapter 4 with the family of Adam and Eve, where Cain, their son, killed brother Abel. We follow it through and we see a man by the name of Lamech in that same chapter, polygamy and murder as well. And when we come to chapter 6 of Genesis, things had become so bad that God was sorry he had even made man. Verse 5 says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to the birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. God was grieved with the evil of this world. And there seems to be two things in particular that really grieved him. The first three verses talk about some kind of mixed marriages. I'm not sure exactly how to describe it, but it describes this this case here where you have the sons of God marrying the daughters of men. They took wives that were beautiful. They took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. And then we find this statement in verse 3, Then the Lord said, as a result of what was happening, Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. Now, as many of you know, this is the most a debated passage in the book of Genesis, and so we're probably not going to solve this question as to who are the sons of God and who are the daughters of men. We'll leave that for the seminarians when they study uh, Genesis. Uh, Some say the sons of God were, were fallen angels that married the daughters of men, that married human beings. As some say the sons of God were the, the, the godly line of Seth and the daughters of men the ungodly line of Cain. Whatever it was, it was something that grieved the heart of God because then God said, my spirit will not always strive with men. However you understand this, it was definitely a perversion of God's plan for marriage. Because of it, God brought Judgment. God could not allow this foundation stone of society to crumble, and so he brought judgment. Do you ever wonder how long it will be before God judges us severely? We live in a culture that mocks God's institution of marriage, don't we? 
We make it easy to get a divorce in our culture today. You can find uh, ads in the paper or ads online, $99 divorce. (laughs) Really? Is that how valuable marriage is? Living together before marriage is is no big deal anymore. Homosexual marriages are now legal in, in all 50 states. Pornography in our culture is a major problem. And so I ask the question, how long will it be? How long will it be before God says, I've had enough? I will bring judgment. What we see today is a sign, I believe, that we are getting closer to the second coming of Jesus. Because Jesus said in Luke chapter 17 that the days just prior to his coming will be like the days of Noah. Luke 17, verse 26, Jesus said, And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. And so those in the days of Noah, the thought of judgment was so foreign to their thinking And you know what? The same is true today. People laugh at those of us who say that Jesus is coming again. They laugh at the idea of of a judgment. And that shouldn't surprise us because Peter said, in the last days, mockers will come. And they will say, where is the promise of this coming? Now, they've been talking about that for for centuries. Where is this promise of Jesus coming? Peter reminds them of the flood. God invaded history through the flood. God brought judgment on the whole world through the flood. And Peter says the same thing is going to happen. And it's not going to be with water. It's going to be with fire. God will bring judgment. And people won't be laughing that day. They won't be mocking that day when Jesus comes to bring His judgment. God was grieved with mocking of of marriage. And notice also, God was grieved by the great wickedness in that day. Almost hard to imagine how wicked the world had become prior to the flood. Verse 5 says that the thoughts, that every intent of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. It's almost like how, how, how could he express it in, in, a, in a greater way? The evil thoughts of, of people. Verse 11, the earth was corrupt in the sight of God. The earth was filled with violence. God looked upon the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their ways on the earth. And God said in verse 13, the end has come for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I'm about to to destroy them with the earth. Hard to imagine how evil that culture had become. Corruption and rebellion and violence and and their thinking was only evil continually. 
And then we see in verse 4 a reference to the Nephilim who are described as the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. The word mighty is the same word used to describe Nimrod in chapter 10, verse 8. And Nimrod means, let us rebel. He was probably the one that led the rebellion at the Tower of of Babel. And so the time before the flood was a time of violence, a time of wickedness, a time of rebellion, a time of corruption. And think of it, it included everyone on the face of the earth except Noah and his family. When sin was running rampant, God was grieved. I can't help but think that God is grieved with our culture today. But notice secondly, when sin was running rampant, God was gracious. In the midst of this judgment, notice how we see the grace of God in several ways. First of all, God waited before He brought judgment. Verse 3 refers to this 120 years. My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he is also his flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. Now, some understand this to be that this would describe how man's life was shortened. Uh, People living a 900 plus years and, and now life would be shortened to 120 years. But it seems best to me to understand it rather as a reference to God giving time before the flood came. That during that time that Noah was preparing that ark, preparing that boat, God was waiting for people to repent. First Peter 3.20 says, The patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the, destruct, or the construction of, of the ark. And Noah was a preacher of righteousness, the Bible describes him. And can you picture during those years that he's building this boat out in the middle of the wilderness and people are asking, what are you doing? No, I'm building a boat. Why are you building a boat here? God is going to flood the earth. Oh, yeah, right. God is going to flood the earth. And he faithfully built that boat. He faithfully proclaimed the word. And can you imagine, you know, going a week, going a month, and then a year, And then 10 years, and then 20 years, and 30 years, and 40, and 50, and 60, over 100 years, God was patient. God was waiting. And as you look in Scripture, you see that over and over again, don't you, that God is very patient with us. In chapter 15 of Genesis, you have this reference to the Amorites, Genesis 15, 16. And God told Abraham that his people would be strangers in a foreign land for 400 years. Bondage in Egypt. And then God would deliver them. And then we find this statement in Genesis 15, 16. It says, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. They were one of the nations within the promised land. 
God waited 400 years before He drove them out of the promised land. Would you call that patience? 400 years God waited. And finally, the land, Old Testament describes it as vomited them out, spewed them out. Because they were so evil. But God waited 400 years, mind you. About the Babylonian captivity. Second Chronicles chapter 36, verses 15 and 16 tells us how God sent His prophets over and over and over again, but they mocked them until there was no remedy and judgment came. But year after year after year after year after year, God warned them and He waited for them to repent, but they would not. 2 Peter 3.9 says, God is not slow in fulfilling His promise, as some count slowness, but He is patient with you, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so God waits. Why has Jesus not returned yet? Why? Because God is waiting in patience for people to come to repentance. And I am so grateful that God waited for me. That God did not turn His back on me. That God gave me opportunity to respond to His grace. And God has probably done the same for many of you here today. You could say the same thing. You're grateful that God waited for you. And maybe God is waiting for some of you here today. You've turned your back on God. And He's waiting for you to come to Him. That's grace, right? Amazing grace. That God waited before He judged. When sin was running rampant, God was gracious. Another way He was gracious is God preserved His promise. In Genesis 3, verse 15, God had made a promise that He would send a Savior Remember the picture given that that He would crush the head of the serpent, that He would defeat Satan. And God spared Noah and his family so that the promise that God had given could be fulfilled. Verse 7 says, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God preserved His promise through a man named Noah. And it's important we understand why God saved Noah, why God spared His family. It wasn't because Noah was so good. Noah was spared because God is so good. Notice it is the favor of God, it was the mercy of God that saved Noah. And the way that he lived then, the the, the godly life that he lived, was a fruit of what God had done in His grace to save him. We must understand that. God did not look down on Noah and say, I want you on my team. God was gracious. God extended favor to Noah. 
And the way that he lived his life then was a fruit of that. None of us are saved because we're such wonderful people. We are not wonderful people, are we? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved what? A wretch like me. That's biblical. Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? And the only one that can deliver us is Jesus. His mercy. His grace. God preserved His promise. And then thirdly, God provided a way of escape. When sin was running rampant, God was gracious to provide a way of escape. God made it clear to Noah that He would spare His life, His family from the flood, but He needed to put His trust in that promise. By faith, He needed to respond to God's provision by building the ark. Look at verse 13. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. Not sure what gopher wood is, but I think it's some kind of a wood that had natural preservatives in it. Make for yourself. And, and Hebrews chapter 11 verse 7 says that's exactly what Noah did by faith. He prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. So Noah gives us a, an illustration of what faith is all about. Faith isn't just a, an intellectual thing. I believe that... Uh, You know, Jesus uh, actually lived and died and and nothing more, but faith is an active thing. It is a living thing. When you believe the Word of God, it changes the way that you live. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. Over and over, these ones who are described as men and women of faith, it transformed them. It changed them. And so people that say, you know, I believe in Jesus or I have faith, and there's absolutely no difference in their life, you've got to ask the question, do you really understand what faith is? Faith without works is dead. If if faith does not result in in, in fruit, you have to ask the question, is that real? Is it living faith? I don't think it was very easy for Noah to do what he did, especially in his day. But when you've experienced the grace of God, like Noah did, when you've been saved from judgment like Noah was, your life is transformed. He was a changed man. And he walked with God daily. Lived in obedience to Him. My dad used to use the phrase, he'd say, there's people that have a faith of convenience and not a faith of conviction faith of convenience what is that that's that's not a living faith it's it's kind of like you know well if i've got nothing else going on nothing you know but a faith of conviction is a living faith and it acts upon the, the promise of god and that's what we see in the life of noah god's grace god's favor was poured upon him and the fruit of that is described then in verse 9. He was a righteous man by faith, blameless in his time, and Noah walked 
with God. In the midst of the culture we live in today in which God is grieved, aren't you thankful for His grace? That God can save us, that God can spare us from the judgment that awaits the world, that God can use us to be a light in this world. Grace really is amazing. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Is that your testimony today? Can you say that? God's grace was poured out on you. God's favor has been extended to you. That you know Jesus as your Savior. That you've experienced that saving grace. That life-transforming grace. That amazing grace that is found in Jesus. Let's pray. Grace, O oh God, that is greater than our sin. Where sin abounded, grace abounded more. And I thank you for that grace today. We need your mercy. We need your grace. And you pour it out upon us through your Son, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice of Christ on the cross for us. Thank you for that marvelous, wonderful, matchless grace in Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that there would not be anyone here this morning who would turn their back on your favor, on your mercy, but receive that grace that can pardon and cleanse within. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.